good to be loved, isn't it? Yes. Certainly is. You know, there are people, maybe some in this room, that rarely feel loved. You struggle with feeling loved. And you know, it's just, um, unfortunately, it's a reality. Especially when it comes to this issue of God Himself. It's one thing <clears throat> to know God loves you. It's a whole other thing to feel loved by God. It's a whole other issue. 
And, uh, you know, with our intellect, we can say, yes, I, I know God loves me. But if we don't feel loved, then there's a disconnect there. There's a problem there. And it ultimately creates bigger problems. And so I just want to encourage you to truly take God at His word and know that He loves you and then begin to feel. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. And so really reckon it to be so and begin to exercise it the best you can. And if you struggle with that, get into the word of God and really let it soak into you. Let the word of God, because that's Christ himself. So you're letting him closer, okay? Let, it, let him work on you through the word of God. And uh, it'll help you. It'll make a big difference in your life. Um, it'll, it'll change what you do for God from duty to delight. That's, that's how it'll change it. It'll go from being duty to delight for you. And uh, that's an amazing transformation. First Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 4. A big day up in Cleveland, I guess. 1.3 million, they're saying now. Isn't that something? That's amazing. They asked me to do the opening prayer on the float. <clears throat> I had to turn it down because I told them I might be late for church tonight. <laughs> they never asked me to do anything. They don't even know who I am. You kidding? 1.3 million. Can you imagine that? Isn't that something? That's pretty, uh, pretty awesome, really. That's pretty awesome stuff. Yep. And they said everybody was getting along good. That's a miracle already, isn't it? So, you know, isn't it amazing? Boy, I tell you what, what what's it going to be like one day when the Lord comes back? Oh, I mean, really. I mean, you think about that. I mean, hey, they brought a championship to Cleveland, and Cleveland just went bonkers. And, I mean, everybody's loving one another. I mean, racial issues out the window, gender issues out the window. I mean, everybody hugging and just excited and all, what, uh, become one because of this common goal that's been reached. And just think about how wonderful it's going to be one day in the presence of Christ when he's the focus of everything. That's going to be a wonderful thing. <clears throat> that's going to be a great thing. Well, anyway, First Timothy chapter 4. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Again, we're, we're kind of, we've been stuck here kind of like in these first seven verses, and hopefully we will finish them. I got through verse 6, or kind of through verse 6, and we're going to try to complete this now and get through verse 7, then we'll continue with the rest of the chapter. But in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, the Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now we've talked a lot about Timothy, and, and we've discussed him in introduction quite often. And we know that he, he was the offspring of a, a Gentile father, and his mother was a child of God, and his grandmother was a Christian, and... I mean, he ultimately would follow in his mama's footsteps, and he became a child of God too. And 
Boy, I'll tell you what, he was the protege of this tremendous and most powerful and amazing man of God, Paul the Apostle. And Paul the Apostle called him his own son in the faith. And so we're not sure if he actually led him to the Lord or he was a direct descent of his ministry, but it sure seems to me that he had a real integral part in Timothy coming to Christ. I wouldn't be surprised if he had the privilege of maybe leading him to the Lord. But either way, he took a real interest in Timothy because Timothy took a real interest in the things of God. Now listen to what I'm telling you. That's important right there. He took a tremendous interest, a great interest in Timothy because Timothy took a tremendous interest in God. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. There's an element there where your investment in yourself determines whether someone else will invest in you. <clears throat> now, many times Christians, just like the world, want someone to pour their self into them. I want someone to mentor me. I want someone to, to be there for me. I want somebody to lift me up. I want somebody to encourage me. I want somebody to be there for me but they're not investing in themselves. And um, you need to invest in yourself today. I believe that the Lord will send Pauls when there are Timothys. But I mean that. You'll get a Paul in your life when you become a Timothy. When you're willing to invest in your life by heeding the Scriptures and by studying the Scriptures and willing to pay the price that it costs to become a disciple of Christ, the Lord will send that person that's needed in your life, if it's needed at all. And, and we all have a pastor, of course. We're here tonight. We have, you know, friends that are children of God. We have some of the friends of ours may be more, uh, you know, more mature in their walk than others, and that's a wonderful thing. But I'll guarantee you, those friends and that pastor and other staff and other people in leadership will see the investment you're making in yourself, and it will make a difference. It makes a difference. <clears throat> so you can, somebody can say, well, that's just not fair. Well, that's just the Bible. So God's the one that's not fair then. And take it up with him. I don't know about you, but um, I like to invest in people that invest in themselves, that are willing to take the effort. I made a visit or two today on some men that are wanting to make some investment in themselves that have made some mistakes along the way. I have no problem investing in that. I love investing in that. But if someone says, well, you're not going to get me to get up and go to church. You're not going to get me to read my Bible and pray. That's not on my bucket list for, you know, I, that's not important to me. Well, it's kind of hard for me to want to continue to invest and pour the best I've got into them. And you would do the same. You'd say the same thing. So God understands how it works. And, boy, Timothy was one of those guys that just, Love the Lord, and man, he was fired up for the things of God. And man, Paul the Apostle, it was easy for him to invest in Timothy. Oh, it was a sacrifice. It always is. But he, it, he knew this is going to pay off big time. And don't you like to invest when you know it's going to pay off big time? I do, especially if it's money, right? No. But anyway, <clears throat> so anyway... You know, we've got this young man that's being invested in. we got him investing in himself. And ultimately, he becomes the pastor of a tremendous church. And God uses him in a mighty way. 
and he's rooting out apostasy, he's dealing with problems, and yet he's also proclaiming the, the good gospel and the doctrine of God, and he's just doing a bang-up job, so to speak. i got to believe that what's taking place here in First Timothy, that Timothy's struggling a little bit from time to time. He's a young man in the ministry, and Paul the Apostle's going to write to him now. He's going to try to encourage him in the ministry. He's going to try to tell him, hey... Listen, it's not going to be all a bed of roses. It's not going to always be easy, but you can do this with God's help. And you're able to overcome this. You've had the training and you've had the experience now. You're getting in there and you're getting your hands dirty a little bit. Keep in the battle and don't allow yourself to retreat. Stay in it, you know. And so we see him encouraging Timothy. So we come to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, verse 1, we began to look at this thought. We noted the apostasy announced, that, that he announces the apostasy that's going to come. The apostle Paul does. He says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It's coming. It's going to happen. And then he's right on the heels of that, verses 2 through 5, he talks about the apostasy and analyzed. So now he takes that apostasy that, that he says is, 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 that he announces that's going to take place. It's going to happen. Why? Because he's already seen evidence of it already in the church. And he says, it's going to only get worse. We've got to deal with it. We've got to face it. We can't bury our head in the sand. We can't neglect it. We can't act like it's not happening. It's there. we just got to be careful. We don't allow it to begin to take over here. So he announces it, makes it clear. It's only going to get worse. Here it is. So let's deal with it. Let's face it before it becomes a bigger problem. By the way, that's how you deal with life. <clears throat> One of the mistakes we make in life is that we wait till the problem is so big before we address it. See, we need to address a problem when it's small enough to be fixed before it's so big that it seems impossible. And, and I think that's what Paul's trying to do here. He's trying to let Timothy know, okay, yeah, it's there. The root of it's in there. But let's not let it take, get too deep. Let's go ahead and start rooting it out now before it gets too buried in there. I mean, it's, it's starting to, actually, it's on the surface. Let's, before it gets too rooted, let's dig it out. Now, <clears throat> he says, okay, so let's analyze this apostasy. And so he does that. And, um, and then finally, we come to our verses 6 and 7. And we, we, we've noted already apostasy announced, analyzed, and now we're going to see the apostasy anticipated. And um, <clears throat> notice he says, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained, but refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather into godliness. Now, as we began a couple of weeks ago in this particular portion, we said Paul charged Timothy. <clears throat> and basically, he charged Timothy to remind the believers in Ephesus that the apostasy is coming and that you better be prepared and ready for it. Now, being concerned for the well-being of the church, he warned those Ephesian elders, as we noted over there in Acts chapter 20, verse 30, <clears throat> when he said, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So now that he's warned them, he turns to Timothy and he urges him to put the brethren in remembrance of these things. That's what he tells them to do. And that's what we discussed a little bit last week. So <clears throat> as we jump ahead now and we start to get into some of the newer stuff or the new material, 
The Apostle Paul basically charges him. He doesn't charge him to teach something new. That's important. He doesn't tell him to teach something new here. As a matter of fact, he just tells them to remind them what they already knew. And that's, that is huge, okay? <clears throat> and so let's go ahead and pick up right there, and we'll move forward and finish this section right here tonight. Father, help us now in these next few minutes. Encourage us in the, the things of the Lord, the things of your word. Lord, thank you for the privilege that we have to be here <clears throat> and to be a part of this service tonight. Be with our teenagers as they're away. And Lord, they're in a service tonight probably already, or at least it will be starting here in another few minutes, seeing they're an hour behind us. But Lord, we pray, dear God, that you would just bless that service and may their hearts be stirred from the preaching of the word of God and from the music, just the wonderful fellowship they'll have one with another. Be with us now, we pray. Holy Spirit of God, do your work in our lives. Energize us, encourage us, and equip us tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So... He charges Timothy not to teach something new, but instead to remind the Ephesians what they already knew. He even goes so far as to say this. If you're going to warn them, if you warn them against these things, you're going to prove yourself to be, as he puts it, a good minister of Jesus Christ. If you you will bring them into remembrance of these things, then you will prove yourself to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Now... With that said, a big part of the pastor or, or the big part of the pastor's job is reminding people what is important, what is profitable, and even what is dangerous. That's a big part of the pastor's job, to remind people of some things. And somebody says, well, his job is to teach them. Let me tell you, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of what I say that you already know. You know what I need to do, though, to protect you and help you? Remind you. Let me tell you something. A big part of what a pastor does is reminding people of what they already know or what they've already heard, at least. Now, how many of you, let me ask you a question. How many of you remember September 11, 2001? Would you raise your hand? Remember? Wow, isn't it amazing how many of you just raised your hand like that? Okay, you put your hands down. Remember, do you remember where you were at when those planes crashed into the Twin Towers? Or at least where you were at when they came down? Do you remember that? And boy, I'll tell you what, as I'm saying that right now, your mind is going right back to that. I mean, I don't know how, uh, probably if you were at least 10 years of age or, or older, your mind is snapping back to that. You might even have been younger than that, and you're just like, wow. I mean, it was just so riveting, and it was just so... I mean, nauseating even. There was just such a, a feeling that was a tied to it and associated with that event that you can't help but remember it when I mentioned it. Now, let me ask you this. How, many, how often have you thought about it in the last 24 hours? How about the last week? I mean, have you really just sit around, you know, 9-11, 9 you know, I remember that. I mean, when's the last time you had thought of, was it back on September the 11th when they had the last, you know, brought it back up again and the videos started streaming once again? I mean, how often did you really remember it? You, it, it wasn't that you didn't, that you forgot it. It's just that you hadn't remembered it lately. You want to know something? That's how the Word of God is. 
You know, we, we know the truth, and sometimes, we, you know, we say, well, I already know that. Duh, I know that. I know, but you need to be reminded. Someone says, that preacher, he preaches on stuff I've already heard. Of course he does. Why wouldn't he? He wants to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And a good minister of Jesus Christ, according to the Word of God, is one that reminds you or brings into remembrance these things. That's a good thing, isn't it? Now, you, you say, I, I mean, I've been saved for 20 years. There's like almost nothing I haven't heard. Well, good for you. So I guess you can quit church then. But, but here's the problem. If you quit church, you won't be reminded. And you know what will happen? You'll go back to living like you used to live. Because the Word of God is very clear. We are human beings. And we need to be reminded on a regular basis. Why? Oh, by the way, when you stood at the altar and, 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 and you said, I do, to that husband or wife, was there ever an I love you exchanged at any point that day? I love you. Probably at some point on your wedding day, your husband or your wife said, I love you. Now, I don't get why they have to keep saying it. I mean, that makes no sense at all. You know they love you or they wouldn't have married you. It makes no sense that you have to hear it all the time, ladies or guys. But you listen to it. And as a matter of fact, if they don't say you, he never says he loves us. He never, I don't know anymore. I just wonder. He never tells me he loves me. Why should he have to? Well, you want to be reminded, don't you? Because it continues to encourage you and strengthen you and, and make you feel secure. Well, guess what reminding the Word of God does? The same thing. Again, he's telling, he's telling this young preacher, man, bring to their remembrance some things. Don't allow them to let it slip out of their mind because if so, other things will occupy their mind. And those will not be the things of my Word and me. They'll be of the adversary. And the world, the flesh. So a big part of a pastor's job is to remind his people what is important and profitable and even dangerous at times. Again, we may have forgotten some things, but, you know, I don't know. You, you, don't, you don't really forget. You just need reminded, don't you? So do I. So Paul tells, tells Timothy, apostasy has both invaded the church and will only grow along the way if not addressed. One of the important steps to remaining true to the Word of God is to bring to remembrance the things that have been taught already. So what's a good lesson for us? Well, here's a lesson I think that we need to remember along the way. Let's not be so quick to discard or dismiss the old and instead, and, and, and so quick to dismiss the old and embrace the new. Let, let's not become so quick to get rid of the old and embrace the new. We've got to be careful with that. Um, if we're being told to bring some things into remembrance, then there are some things that we need to remember. And it doesn't matter whether it's 2016 or whether it was 1916 or if it's 2116. It's still the same thing that we're being told to bring into remembrance. 
So there's some things we shouldn't be so quick to discard then. Jeremiah 6.16. Turn there if you would, please. I'm all for progress. You know, I I have no problem with... Well, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I have problem anytime things are abused. Uh, but but I don't, I don't um, inherently have a problem with technology and progress in that area. I, I don't know that there's nothing wrong with it in and of itself. I'm, I'm good with that. I, I don't think that the only way that you can witness to people is door to door. I think you can witness other ways. Do I think that we still need to go door to door? Yeah. Why? Because the Bible teaches it. They went house to house. I mean, in reality, they were talking about every day they were in people's homes presenting and reminding them of this truth right here. So so there's nothing wrong with that. And so I'm not quick to discard door to door. But let me say this. There's a number of other ways you can get the gospel out, especially in this age in which we live. So many opportunities today. And it doesn't make any of those wrong. And may I say that there may be churches that don't follow in the footsteps of what I would believe to be very biblical or scripturally based outreach with with door-to-door that are doing a fantastic job in other areas. I I, I wish they would do door-to-door too only because I believe that's biblical and it's local church. But you know what? You know, that's not my problem. I'm not responsible for other churches. I'm just glad if they're getting the gospel out at all, I'm glad they're getting it out. That's a good thing. And there's so many ways to do that today. So there's nothing inherently wrong with technology. But notice what the Bible says in Jeremiah 6.16. Someone say, well, oh, the Baptist is showing in him now. Well, I think the Bible's showing in me here. Notice it says, thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see... And ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. It's interesting that early on in the Bible, a fellow by the name of Cain killed his brother Abel. Do you know we still have a problem with murder today? How come there's so many other sins today we don't have a problem with, even though they were in here from the very beginning? How come it's so easy to discard what's sin and what's not today? Well, you know, we live in a different culture, so this isn't sin anymore. Wait a second. I, I thought the Bible defined what's right, what's wrong. And so in this particular case, I, I thought the Bible defines how we should live and how we should act. We talked a little bit about that, about adorning the doctrine of God the other night. And the fact is, is that we're going to see that Timothy is responsible to proclaim doctrine. Why? Because doctrine affects our living and living's important. How we live is, makes a difference. He says here, listen, ask for the old paths. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where's the good way? The old paths, he says, are the good way. There's so many things that we're so quick to discard in our generation today. All in the name of progress. Let's get rid of that. We live in a different age. Every generation has felt the same way about a couple of things. Every generation says that the people that came before them were old fuddy-duddies. And every generation that's ahead of them says, and I've said this a number of times, 
I would not want to raise my kids in this generation. It's funny how we have these different perspectives. On this end, people are going, I wouldn't want to raise my kids in that world, in that generation. And over here on this perspective, they're going, those people are old fuddy-duds. They don't have a clue what's going on. They've got to get with the real world. Things are changing. It's not like 19. And now some of you young people are going, it's not like the year 2000. <laughs> you know. But let me tell you something, and, and we, we cannot dismiss this reality in fact. This book has not changed a bit. And our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is all there is to it. We can't dismiss that reality. And we can go ahead and say, it's just not the same today. It isn't the same today. And it won't be the same tomorrow. But thank God He's the same and His Word's the same. Amen? That's the thing. And as believers, we ought to be the same. We ought to be consistent in our walk and our life. So let's not be so quick to discard or dismiss the old and embrace the new. Again, there's a trend in Christianity to kind of depart from mom and dad's or grandma and grandpa's old-time religion today. And that's just kind of, you know, we're quick to dismiss those old-fashioned standards and that, that faithful church attendance and that sacrificial giving that they once embraced or do embrace. I mean, just because it's old, let me ask you, does that mean it's outdated? I, uh, let's see, um, I used to save pennies, you know, and you'd look at those dates and they'd get the real old pennies. You'd ever try to find the old penny, you know, the 1940, the 1930, and, and it's hard to find them now. They, they've kind of, kind of washed some of that out. But let me ask you something. If you find a 1940 penny, is it worth the same amount as a 1999 or a 2016 penny? It's actually worth more, you think? But it's old. Isn't that something? Sometimes, though, in our world, we believe that anything that's really old needs to go because it doesn't fit. It's not practical anymore. Do you realize... And you can, listen, some of you young people can look at some of us, some of the older people, and, and you may even include me in that now, and you can go, they're crazy, them old people. They're crazy. Do you know that they're even more valuable today than they were 40 years ago? Because they know things they didn't know then. They've experienced life a little bit. Do you realize how valuable they become as, as, as they get older? Do you know that if you'll just play your cards right and you'll live for Jesus Christ, as you gain in years and experience, you'll become more valuable in a sense to the cause of Christ? Do you realize that? Never look at an older person and go, they're, they're useless. All you have to do is sit down and talk to them a minute and you will learn that they're extremely valuable. Will they say things that are crazy sometimes? Yes. Will you agree with everything that they say? No. But will they teach you something if you will open your mind and your heart to listen? Without a doubt. And it's the same with this doctrine in the Bible. Some young people, are, unfortunately today, are growing up in fundamental Bible-believing Baptist churches even. And they're learning things as they grow up. And then they get just old enough. And the first thing they want to say is, I was never told why. Never. All I did was obey a bunch of rules. 
and those rules are smothering me now. When's the last time you took responsibility to figure out what you believe instead of making everybody else responsible for what you believe? I mean, I'm all for teachers. Teachers ought to be teaching, and parents ought to be encouraging and showing the children why. I understand all that. But when are we going to grow up and take responsibility for what the Word of God teaches and says instead of expecting someone else to tell us? I'm just kind of wondering about that. I get a little weary hearing that. I get a little tired of people telling me that it's my job to convince them what the Word of God teaches. I can only tell you so many times and show you so many places. And then it's up to you to get with God and figure it out. Amen. You know what? Don't you feel that way with your kids sometimes? <laughs> you tell them and you try to explain it and they're like, I don't get it. I just don't. And you're thinking, you get it. You don't want to get it. You ever been there with your kids? Well, what's a church? It's just a bunch of kids in big bodies because we're all just the children of God. Amen? And let me tell you something. Spiritual children sometimes are just as tough as physical children. It's rough sometimes. Now, we have a perfect church, so we don't have problems like that. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. You do believe we have a perfect church, right? I hope you do. That's, thank you, Brother Andy. Okay, so the old past. Now, he then goes on not only to charge Timothy, but now he challenges Timothy. Notice what he says to Timothy here. He goes on again, and look at uh, chapter 4 now. He says in verse 6, we'll just start there, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Now that's, that's pretty important there. He challenges Timothy now to nourish up the believers with words of faith and of good doctrine. There's no doubt, whether you're a parent or whether you're a pastor, the fact is, is that the children need fed, right? So there, there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, we need to put people in remembrance of things, but there are biblical truths, doctrine as he calls it here, doctrine and words of faith that every child of God needs to hear and to work on that. And, and you know, the Bible is in a, it's, it's just inexhaustible. I mean, there's just so much in it that, you know, um, you could teach till you're blue in the face until the Lord returns and probably not scratch the surface. So there's so much there. So there is a responsibility. He tells Timothy now, listen, you have these believers, and apostasy is, is right there. It's right in front of you, and before it takes root, I want you to bring to remembrance some things that they've been taught, things that they've heard, things that they already know that they might just have kind of let slip a little bit, but then also I want you to nourish them up, and I want you to give them... I want you to give them some doctrine. And I want you to make sure that you give them words of faith. Things are going to strengthen them. Things are going to encourage them. It's dangerous to neglect doctrine. So Paul kept emphasizing it. Look what he says in 1 Timothy 4, 6. Again, we looked at it. He says, words of faith and of good doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, verse 13 now. Look at verse 13, that same chapter. He says, till I come, give attendance to reading to exhortation, to what? Doctrine. 
Notice verse 16 in that same chapter again. Take heed unto thyself and unto, thy, unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Boy, that doctrine's important then, right? It's so valuable. And as we said the other night, doctrine's not just an abstract thing. It's not just teaching in the sense that you just open a book and you've got the doctrine now. Doctrine is teaching how to live. Doctrine is, is, is alive, if you will. It's, it's to be exhibited. It's to be you know, displayed in our life. Not just known in our head, but displayed in our life. And so he's telling them, boy, doctrine's important. If you're going to thwart this, this apostasy that's on the way and that's started to take root a little bit in the church, if you're going to deal with that, then you've got to emphasize doctrine and spiritual, biblical, godly living. Because it's all one and the same. It's not just what you believe. It's what you live. I want you to think about Job for a minute. In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, um, the Bible tells us that, well, we know, we know how Satan went on into the presence of God, and that freaks people out, you know. But he did. And, and then he, he has this conversation with God, and ultimately God says, okay, uh, you think Job's a phony and a fake? You think the only reason Job serves me is because of all the good things I do for him? All right. Here's the authorization. Go ahead. Put it on him. That's hard to believe, isn't it? And you say, if God really loved Job, he'd never let that happen. Well, when you get to heaven, you can ask God all about that. But the fact is, is that God says He loves Him just like He loves us. So sometimes it may, He may permit those things in our life. And we, if we really read through the book of Job, we'd find that in the end, Job was actually a better man of God as a result of it. Now, unless our, if, if our real goal is to be closer to Christ and to truly become everything God wants us to be, then, then those are things that we accept. But if our real goal and our real desire is just comfort, pleasure, and, and, and ease then we don't like God for that. matter of fact, we get bitter at God for those things. Now, think about Job here. God basically unleashes Satan on him. And his family, it sounds like, too, right? Anybody ever think about the kids that die in this whole mess? I mean, they don't even get a chance to kind of learn or grow. They're just gone. That's, that's a tough pill to swallow. But all of a sudden, in verse 15... The Bible says the Sabaeans stole his oxen and asses and killed his servants. That was, that was, there, there was a day. There was a day. And then it goes immediately after he hears this news. While he's listening to this news, another one runs in his presence and says, Oh, by the way, fire fell from heaven and killed your sheep and your servants. And while he's hearing from that one, Another servant runs in and says, I'm the only one that escaped. The Chaldeans, they stole your camels and killed your servants again. And then while he's telling him that story, another one runs in and says, Oh, by the way, a great wind destroyed the house of your, your eldest son and all your children died in this crash or this destruction. Now, I'm, listen, this happened in one day. This happened on the heels of things. I mean, He's getting, this, he's, he's getting it over the wire or he's getting it over the internet or he's getting it on CNN and all of a sudden, as soon as he hears this news, bam, he hears the news, the next news and then bam, the next news and then bam, the next news. 
And so what happens? In one day, Job loses his farm, his fortune, and his family. He loses it all. In one day, he lost his livelihood. Notice all the servants that are dying. He doesn't even have anybody to clean up the mess. So he lost his livelihood, he lost his lifestyle, and he lost his legacy. In one day. Can I tell you what the great question is here now? The great question that overshadows the story of Job is simply this. Will his experience triumph over his theology? Or will his theology triumph over his experience? You say, what do you mean? Will what he knows and believes about God ultimately carry him through? Or will his own emotions in the midst of this tragedy rule him? Will he allow his faith to triumph, to rise above the circumstances of his life? And basically, as we said, his theology. We're talking about his doctrine, what he really believes and what he practices in his life. Will that rise above his experience today? Well, how does it end for him? He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust. He wouldn't speak evil of the Lord, would he? Even though he lost his livelihood, no more job, Even though he lost his lifestyle, no more comforts. Even though he lost his legacy, no more children. He wouldn't turn his back on God. He wouldn't give up what he knew to be truth and who he knew God to be. That's an amazing message we need to understand. Because, see, let's just be honest. Before it's over with, many people allow their experience to trump their theology. And they start to look at God and go, why aren't you good? Right. Come on. Because we neglect theology. We neglect our doctrine. And we base our, we base our emotions and our feelings on our experience. We let it rule. We get angry. We get upset. We get disappointed. We get discouraged. We tell God, I don't even know where you're at. Why would you let this happen? You know, it's a natural response at times to respond that way. I'm not saying that in the midst of a horrible thing, you may not be tempted to go, where's God? You might be. And maybe Job was immediately. We know he never opened his mouth, though. We know that he never publicly cursed God. We know that he never said anything. That would, in his heart, did he ever even think it maybe? I don't know. I don't know. And we're led to believe that he just really handled this like a trooper. So, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he handled it like we all ought to. But theology over experience. And that's the challenge here. That's why we need to be encouraged in words of faith. And that's why we need to be continually 
bombarded with good doctrine. And that's why we need to be things being brought to our remembrance on a regular basis because every last one of us are going to face difficult times of tribulation and trials in our lives. And if, we don't, if we're not careful, if we're not rooted, if we're not grounded, if we're not really strong in our faith and our doctrine, our beliefs, then the reality is that our experience will rule us instead of our theology. And we'll be tempted to turn our back on the very God that saved us and the very God that loves us with all His heart and the God who promised not only to give us life more abundant here, but to give us eternal life forever. Timothy had won Paul's approval as a student. And he had won it as a teacher of God's word. Paul would even said at one point, whereunto thou hast attained... You've arrived at a point in your life, Timothy, where I can trust you to go teach and train others. You've lived the life. You've, you've, you've learned it, and now you've lived it, and I'm going to allow you now to invest your life in others so that they will allow theology to rule them and not experience, so that they will not allow apostasy to take root in their life, but you can remind them of what they've learned and what they know to be true, and you can continue to teach them and to continue to build them up and encourage them in the things of Christ. Boy, the Apostle Paul was clear. We've got to be careful about some things. And he finally concludes in verse 7 by saying, you better be real careful what you're listening to. You better be careful because there's a lot of false teaching out there. As a matter of fact, he, calls, he says, you better be careful, as he puts it in verse 7. He says, but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. He goes on finally to say, in Timothy, you've got to be careful that you don't listen to these old wise fables. And these, these, as he puts it, these vain, seven, let me find it here, these um, profane fables. Be careful you don't fall into that trap. And basically all he was saying is simply this. You know, these fables are rooted in superstition and they become true. People begin to teach them like their truth. You be careful. And so it all basically boils down to the fact that he's saying you need to be careful what you listen to and what you allow, not in your life but in the lives of these folks. Because there's everybody wants to bring an idea into the church. Everybody wants to insert an opinion. Everybody wants to say, well, when, at the last church we did this or <clears throat> this is how things really get done. And when I grew up, this is how... We did it, and that's fine <clears throat> if it's rooted in this. But let's face it, there are some things in our life. My grandma used to always say, cleanliness is next to godliness. I thought that was in the Bible. I did. I mean, she made me believe that if somebody was dirty and filthy and didn't take care of their body, then they obviously couldn't possibly be godly. It's impossible because cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, we know that as believers we have a testimony to keep, and that's important. However, let's be honest, that's not in the Bible. But it could be taught that way. <clears throat> and what's, what's, what Paul's trying to say is that these people are coming out of paganism. And there's a lot of teachings they received when they were growing up. And some of them are rooted in, in fables and some are rooted in superstition. They're rooted in maybe even Greek mythology even. 
But he's saying, listen, you've got to be so careful that you don't allow that to penetrate the, the, the church and to ultimately take root in the church. It's got to be all this right here, the Word of God. It just has to be this, Timothy. You've got to continue to give them a steady diet of the Word of God and bring to remembrance those things in this Word and the truths that you have been taught and that they themselves have been taught in many cases. And for those that are new, continue to build them up, continue to teach and train them. And for those older ones, continue to give them solid doctrine and, and, and just keep giving them the, the, the words of faith, good faith. And that's how you deal with apostasy, a steady diet of the Word of God. That's it. It's as simple as it is. It's that whole philosophy, here's a glass of water. If it's full, you can't put anything else in it, so to speak. It just overflows. But if there's room, there's room for other things. And may I say, we can't leave ourselves open to other things. We have to be filled, not only with the Spirit of God, but with the Word of God, okay? Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you mean to us and all you do for us. Bless us in these next couple moments as we prepare, Father, our, our invitation, and then for dismissal. We love you. We need you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all